When I flew into Heathrow day before yesterday, I felt like I'd come home. I left part of me here when we retired a little over nine years ago. We now live in Tennessee. I live on, actually, Hendersonville. I live on the same lake that Johnny Cash lived on. I thought you'd like to know that. <laughs> but we love Britain. Our best friends are here. And uh, we'd come back in a minute if we could. But I'm thrilled to be here. This is the first time I've spoken in a vineyard church in Britain. I've spoken in the mother church in Anaheim and, and others around. But I'm thrilled to be here, and it's, it's great to meet you. And I just want to be a blessing in this time. And Aunt and Helen uh, from Forest uh, Town Church just down the road uh, have set this up. And I was thrilled when I heard that you'd like to have me. Okay. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. What I think I will do is uh, put this that I'm going to read in context. If you don't mind, keep your Bible open for a little bit. Uh, for those who may not know the story of Joseph, uh, there may be somebody that you've just been converted lately, you don't know about this. This is the description of a fulfillment of a prophetic dream, in fact, more than one dream, that Joseph had years before. He had dreams uh, that his brothers would one day bow down to him. Eleven brothers would bow down to him. Now, the dreams were of God, but Joseph's mistake was telling them, and he told them to his brothers, not wise. Uh, just because God uh, shows you something doesn't mean you're supposed to tell it. I think God would show us a lot more if we could keep quiet about it. Uh, but Joseph had these dreams, and always said, I had another dream. This time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. You didn't need to be Sigmund Freud to interpret that dream. Well, they were of God. And now they're being fulfilled. But it's 22 years later. And Joseph's moment has come, and he knows it. The thing is, these 11 brothers don't know who they are facing now. They've come to Egypt to buy food, and they have to go to the prime minister of Egypt. It's their brother Joseph, but they don't know who he is. He's speaking to them through an interpreter, and he's wearing Egyptian garb. They do not have a clue it's their brother, but he knows who they are. He always knew this day would come. He thought that God gave him these dreams so he could look at his brothers and say, gotcha. Because they were not very nice to him. But he wasn't very nice to them. He was a conceited, arrogant teenager. His father Jacob had given him a coat of many colors. Uh, bad move. Worst thing you can do is show favoritism as a parent. The only thing worse than giving that coat of Many colors was wearing it. And Joseph wore it. Didn't bother him one bit that it was making his brothers jealous. The brothers could take it no more. They decided to kill him. 
It's only because Ishmaelites turned up at the very moment they were going to let him go, they decided, well, let's, let's sell him. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites, never expecting to see him again. They yanked that coat of many colors off his back, lay it before old Jacob, who took the bait, and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. They tiptoed away, breathed a sigh of relief, and said, well, we did it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. They couldn't have known that they'd have to face that. Now, 22 years later, they're coming to Egypt to buy food, and Joseph sees them. It's not the way he thought it would be. Instead of saying, gotcha, and throwing the book at them, it's a new Joseph. He's changed. He starts to cry. He begins to sob. And so the reading, Genesis 45, verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were terrified, dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So, it was not you who sent me here but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind who hears this word that their perception of it will be as you intend, that there will be no misinterpretation, misunderstanding, misapplication, but it received as you want it to be received. But cleanse my tongue, that I'll be your transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. May this be a life-changing moment that we leave this place never to be the same again. And may this bring great honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. The message that I feel that I am to bring to you tonight was born in what was at the time 
the darkest hour that Louise and I had ever gone through. It was while we were in London, you probably know, we were at Westminster Chapel 25 years to the day. And they were the greatest years of our lives, but not all of them were pleasant. And we went through what was at the time the darkest hour we'd ever known. The future was so bleak, and I was so angry. How could this happen? And it was the, na the nature of it was that I couldn't tell anybody what happened. But an old friend from Romania, his name is Joseph Tsong, happened to be in London. Because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now, if I'm honest, the reason I told Joseph is that he might put his arm around me and say, well, RT, you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. That was what I was hoping he would say. He just looked at me and said, anything more? I said, no, that's it. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, it would turn out to be my finest hour. So when Joseph's son looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I said, uh, Joseph, I just remembered, I didn't tell you everything. Listen to this. He said, R.T. <laughs> I can hear him now in his Romanian accent. You must totally forgive them. <laughs> Until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. The hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. That's when you let those off the hook who've hurt you. And not only that, you bless them. Well now, that's what I've come to talk to you about. Why should you do this? Because that's my task. I'm here tonight to persuade you to do that. Why should you do it? Well, you're going to go right against nature. The most natural thing in the world when you've been hurt is to want to see those who hurt you hurt. That's natural. Don't need a, a degree from university to want that. That's just the most natural thing in the world. And so when you let these same people off the hook who've hurt you, you're giving them a gift they don't deserve, but you are setting yourself free in the meantime. Now, total forgiveness does not mean approval of what they did. God forgives our sins but not because he approves of what we did. Total forgiveness is not living in denial. Some people think they're forgiven because they are in denial and they say it wasn't that bad. Uh, that's not total forgiveness. Total forgiveness is when you know exactly what they did, admit what it was 
bad, that it was evil, that it was wrong, and you still let them off the hook. That's total forgiveness. Total forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation follows, but usually it doesn't, funnily enough. It takes two to reconcile, and, and besides, it's not always best. Uh, if your husband or your wife uh, sleeps with your best friend, you forgive them, but you don't go on holiday with them. If a person is convicted of being a child molester, you can forgive him, but you don't let him teach a Sunday school class. So total forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Total forgiveness is letting them completely off the hook and blessing them. And when you do that, you cross over into the supernatural, and you do that which defies a natural explanation. Now, why should you do it? Well, I can only think of one good reason you should do it, and I may not have you with me. Speaking personally, I want, more than anything in the world, a greater anointing. That's just what I want. You may say that's a very spiritual, pious desire. You may think that. I'm not sure it is. I want it so much I can't tell whether it's spiritual or natural. I want it more than anything. But I've learned that the only way forward to this is to practice what I'm preaching to you tonight. You can have people lay hands on you. And uh, you can go to the floor. But if you are bitter when you fall, you'll be bitter when you get up. You can go on a 40-day fast. If you're bitter when you start, if you don't deal with it, you'll be bitter at the end and think, well, I've fasted. How come I still have this? You see, total forgiveness is an act of the will. It's something you choose to do. Now, you should do it because this is the way forward toward a greater anointing. I can give you physical reasons for doing it. Did you know medical people have shown that holding a grudge is injurious to your health? It can lead to arthritis, high blood pressure, kidney disease, heart disease. I'm not saying that if you have these, this is why, but sometimes it's the reason. And it just may be that this message tonight, were you to need it and then act upon it, could reverse the physiological process that got you into a bad health situation and reverse that and you start to get better even like that. There are non-Christian organizations that have been raised up to help people to forgive. They're not using the Bible. They're not using the teachings of Jesus. They've just discovered that the greatest benefit of forgiveness is not the one who gets forgiven, it's the one who does the forgiving. Will set you free. Here's another reason. I found this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It's not even in my book because I hadn't seen that verse. It's one of those you've read a thousand times and you read it for the first time. It's where Paul said, a further reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by the devil. It's the New Living Bible translation. What does he mean? Well, I'll tell you. When you hold a grudge, when you choose to point the finger, when you choose not to let them off the hook, in that moment, you didn't mean to. 
But you invited the devil to walk right in, and he will come. And you wonder why you're irritable. You wonder why there's no joy in reading the Bible. You drive yourself to go to the church, and, and everything is bad. The devil gets in. And I'll tell you another thing. Whereas I believe there's a case for exorcisms, did you know you may need deliverance, but it can actually happen right where you are if you will totally forgive them. The devil cannot reside there unless there's bitterness. When the bitterness goes, he has to go. And you can be set free this very night. It could be that there's someone here that maybe you had a dream. Maybe it was 22 years ago, maybe 22 months ago, or a prophetic word was given to you. But you knew at one point in your life that one day God was going to use you. And you've waited, and you've waited. And you've cried out, how long, how long, how long, how long? I've come tonight to tell you how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place Joseph got to. Took a long time. But you see, until he forgave his brothers, he couldn't be trusted with this kind of grandeur, loftiness. Who knows but what here is a future prime minister. Maybe in this congregation, a future Billy Graham. Great plans God has for you. You may say, well, the trouble is, R.T., my gift is such there's no demand for what I do. Well, can you imagine Joseph going into an employment agency tomorrow morning here in St. Albans, and he wants a job? And they say, okay, Joseph, well, tell us, uh, what do you do? He says, dream. <laughs> dream. Right. We have your address here. We'll be in touch with you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you may feel that your gift is about as significant as that. But do you know what? It led to Joseph being prime minister of Egypt. His gift of dreams and prophetic dreams and interpreting dreams, it's what made him what he was. And that which you've got, you may think, is so insignificant. But there will be a moment when the world needs what you have. The question is whether you're ready for it. You never know when that day will come. Total forgiveness. You say, well, I've done it, R.T. Good, good. You can just enjoy the rest of the sermon. But I want to make a deal with you. Proposition. Proposition is this. If I were to show in the next 20, 25 minutes that you haven't totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? Because we're going to come to the crossroads before I leave this platform, decision time coming up. If it turns out you haven't totally forgiven them, after all, would you then do it? So the question is, how do you know you've done it? Well, I'm going to show you. Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. Here it is. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his brothers, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. 
So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now here's the situation. Here's Joseph speaking to an interpreter in Egyptian garb, his cabinet members, his aides. Suddenly Joseph says, everybody out. Well, we don't know why, but they, they all leave. The interpreter probably stays, thinks he's going to be needed. He says to the interpreter, out. Now, behind closed doors, Joseph begins to speak in Hebrew to his brothers. I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade them to come and live in Egypt. He knows that he is a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. He knows if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those brothers, which, funnily enough, is what Joseph used to want more than anything in the world. He wanted everybody to hate them. Now he's a new Joseph. He's changed. He wants everybody to love them. And so to make sure nobody will ever find out what they did to him, he reveals his identity behind closed doors. No one will ever know. Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4, 18. Fear has to do with punishment. You see, fear is what makes you want to punish them. You're afraid they're not going to get what they deserve. But you see, perfect love casts out fear. And now you don't want to punish them. And the first way we punish is by telling what they did. Now, when I say you should tell nobody, there are two exceptions. One is you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. You can tell one. Tell Chris. Tell somebody that will not tell anybody. You can tell one, not two, not ten, not a hundred. One. The other exception, I had a lady come in the vestry at Westminster Chapel and she said, they have found my rapist and they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must testify. Oh, no, you've, you've taught me to forgive. I've forgiven him. I said, now look, that's wonderful that you've forgiven him and I believe you. But this man is a danger to society and it's not personal with you. You must testify. And she did. What's the real reason we tell it? The real reason we tell it, as soon as somebody hurts us, we're on the phone. And see, here's what they did to me. Why would you do it? You can't bear the thought that anybody will like them anymore. You don't want anybody to admire them. You want the truth to be out. The tongue, your weapon, to get even. By the way, how would you feel if God were to reveal all he knows about you? Suppose they were flashed on this screen, your name, and someone just spills the beans, tells everything about you. How would you make, how would that make you feel? I've got news for you. If God were to tell you all he knows about me, that screen wouldn't be enough. That one would need screens all over this place. But guess what? You will never know. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far are our transgressions removed from us because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin and you will never know. But God knows full well what he's forgiven me of. And when I turn around and point the finger at you, 
God says, whoa, we violate a principle. God won't have it. It's a no-nonsense verse. Judge not lest you be judged. We've all got skeletons in the cupboard, and God knows them. The truth is, we tell it because we're afraid the world won't know what they did. Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did. Tell the Lord. Psalm 142, verse 2, pour your complaint out to the Lord. He can cope with it, but don't tell anybody else. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Now, as soon as Joseph reveals who he is, he says they're, they're dismayed, they're terrified, they're scared to death. Now, this is the funny thing, that's the way Joseph used to want them to feel. But he's a new Joseph. Look at it, he says, come close to me. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. The, the bitterness was gone, but they were scared to death. But he's a new Joseph. And you see, as I just quoted, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. He doesn't want to punish them. He doesn't want them to be afraid. You see, husband and wife will play this game. Keep the other one a little bit afraid, nervous. Keep them nervous. By the way, this message could heal any marriage on the rocks by sundown tomorrow morning if both of you will stop pointing the finger. Stop keeping a record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? Well, we keep records to prove that we've paid. And so, husband says to the wife, I will remember that. Sure enough, two days later, he quotes back. He keeps a record of the wrong, pointing the finger. Listen to me. Tear up that record of wrongs. Tear it up. Burn it. Let it not exist. Now, I doubt not for a minute that there are people right here suffered a thousand times worse than I. If I heard your story, I would blush that I even thought I'd suffered at all. Some of you, maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe your spouse was unfaithful to you. Maybe you were lied about, and everybody believes the lie, and you have no way of defending yourself, and you're angry. We could go on and on. Maybe you're the object of racial prejudice. I was in South Africa two weeks ago. You think you've seen racial prejudice in Britain? You've no idea how bad it is there. What black people have endured, it's awful. They have such an opportunity. I've longed for a chance uh, to, to, to preach to the blacks of South Africa. I keep going back hoping a door would open. I'd love to reach them. What an opportunity, because let me tell you something. The greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. And if we could find out that you're the one that has suffered more than anyone else in this place, we heard your story, we all agree, nobody suffered like you, what would your reaction be? Would you say, well, see there? Now you know why I'm angry. <laughs> when you don't realize that the, the angels say, congratulations. 
Because you have a promise of blessing that the person in front of you doesn't have. They haven't suffered like you have. And so all that you've been through, take it with both hands. Because the worse it was, the better it will be for you if you can forgive that. You have an opportunity to do something the others don't have an opportunity to do because they haven't suffered like you have. I remember receiving a letter from the north of England where the lady described what their son-in-law had done to their children and grandchildren. It was horrible. Then at the end of the letter, she said, do I have to forgive him? It wasn't easy to write back and say, yep, you have to forgive him. And if you've suffered the most of anybody here, and you can forgive that, you're a trophy of grace, but that's not all. God has the work for you to do around the corner. You have no idea what God can use you for. Because this way, you cross over into the supernatural. You may say, oh, I've never seen the blind healed. I've never seen the deaf healed. Look, right under your nose is a miracle waiting to happen if you can let them off the hook. How do you know you've done it? You don't tell anybody what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. Proof number three, you don't even let them feel guilty. Oh, dear. He said, well, I don't know about that one. But listen to Joseph. He says, come close to me. I am your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Amazing. He doesn't even want him to be angry with themselves. Have you ever said to somebody, well, I forgive you for what you've done, but I hope you feel bad about it. You see, you're afraid they're not suffering enough. You want to see them suffer a little bit, feel a guilt. And, you, and if you are not sure they have suffered enough, you want to give them a guilt trip. By the way, when the sermon is over, don't walk across the auditorium and go up to somebody and say, well, now, in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. <laughs> they will look at you and say, for what? You will say, well, you know. Well, no, I don't. Oh, you do. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight, which is what you wanted. You see, what gets your goat is that you don't think they know what they've done, and you want them to know. You're hurt, and you don't like it that they don't know that you're hurt, and so you have to tell them you're hurt. And what you do, you say, I forgive you, which means you haven't. The only time ever you say, I forgive you, is when they ask for it. That's different. But when you go, you know, fishing, probing, say, I forgive you, it's because you haven't. And by the way, it takes minimal grace to forgive them when they're sorry. Non-Christians can do that. Soft words turn away wrath in the world. You say, well, you don't have to forgive them until they repent. Where'd you get that? Well, I do. I, I just remember, I do know where you got it. It's in the Mosaic Law, right? 
You want to live under the law? Help yourself. That means you've got 2,000 pieces of legislation you've got to keep. You can't be selective with the law. If you're going to go under the law, take the whole load. Or there's another way, and that's to do what Jesus did on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't even know. It really hurts when they don't know what they've done. And it hurts when they know what they've done. And you forgive them. That's when you excel. Takes minimal grace to forgive them when they're sorry. Takes a lot of grace to forgive them when they're not sorry or they don't even think they've done anything. But this is the way you get a blessing. You want a greater anointing, you want more power, you want Jesus to be real to you. This is the way forward. And I'm sorry, but there's no other way. We all know Jesus taught that. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? We know all that Jesus taught, but we want to get to Acts, Romans for our doctrine. Listen, he meant it. Bless your enemy. Bless them. When you pray for your enemy, you don't just say, Lord, I commit them to thee. And God says, stop it. You see, you, you just want to kind of roll it over on him. No, it's an act of the will. You ask God to bless them. All right, don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are <laughs> those closest to you. Don't be surprised if, uh, how shall I say it? The one you have to forgive is among the godly. You've heard the poem, living with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below, well, that's another story. <laughs> you don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. Fourth, you let them save face. What's that? Well, it's an oriental expression. When a person loses face, is they've lost all self-esteem, they're embarrassed, and you rub their noses in it. You want them to lose face. You want them to squirm. You want to see the look on their faces. And so people sometimes, you know, when they're accused of a crime, they'll put a sack over their face so the TV cameras won't show their face. They've lost face. Well, you see, total forgiveness is letting them save face. That means you protect their self-esteem. You even cover for them to make them look okay. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he's got a section, Let the Other Person Save Face. Dale Carnegie reckons you win a friend for life when you let him save face. And here's Joseph. He lets them save face. He says, now look, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because the, the truth is, uh, God did it. Uh, God sent me ahead of you, uh, because he, he wants to preserve life. Uh, the famine's going to last another five years, and you need to come down here and live, and, and uh, don't be angry with yourselves. Uh, God sent me before you, so it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. These brothers can't believe their luck. That the very man they were going to kill and then sold to the Ishmaelites is now looking at him and saying, God did it. <laughs> I can't imagine a conversation Reuben says to Gad. Gad, did, did I hear him right? 
We didn't do it. God did it. Judah says to Naphtali, Naph, did I hear him right? We didn't do it. God did it. And Joseph overhears him and says, that's exactly right. God did it. It's very simple. 400 years ago, God said to Abraham that his seed would be coming out of Egypt. That means somebody had to get here first. And God said, mm, Joseph, you go first. He said, that's all it was. He said, I just got here first. He sent me ahead of you. It's Joseph's way of saying, by the way, had I been one of you, I'd have done what you did. Here's kind of a hard pill for you to swallow, and you may need a little time on this one, but I'll just throw it in. The first major step toward getting rid of self-righteousness is total forgiveness. Because when you totally forgive, you begin to see yourself in a way you hadn't seen yourself before. You realize what you have to forgive them of is something you would have done under the same circumstances. He said, well, I wouldn't do what they did. Well, maybe not what they did, but you've done other things that in God's sight just as bad. And so Joseph just said, God sent me ahead of you. He's not blaming them. He lets them save face. Proof number five. You protect them from their darkest secret. You probably know something about somebody were you to reveal it, that would destroy them forever. Maybe you threaten them. Maybe you say, you know, I, I could really hurt you, you know. I, I don't think I'll tell it, but then maybe one day I will. Hmm. And the person's scared to death. They live in fear that any moment you might reveal what you know. How dare you ask God for more anointing when you're like that with anybody. And you see... Their darkest secret now was that when they yanked that coat of many colors off Joseph's back, dipped it in blood, and laid it before old Jacob. And they're afraid that Joseph is going to make them go back to Canaan and tell the truth. They're scared to death. It's one thing for him to say, God sent me here, but now he's going to make us go back and tell Dad what we did. They'd rather die than have to do that? Joseph knew that. I didn't read the whole section because of time, but I'd love you to read it when you get home. Do you know, when Joseph tells them to go back to Canaan, he writes the script. He tells them word for word what to say to Jacob. He won't let them tell what they did. He won't let them. So not only does Joseph let them save face, and instead of rubbing their noses in it, he even now makes sure that Jacob will never know. This is total forgiveness. As I said earlier, we've all got skeletons in the cupboard, and God's not wanting to yank out the skeleton and embarrass everybody. God doesn't want to do that. And Joseph wasn't going to do that. He protected them. And if you know something about somebody... They could destroy them. Assure that person nobody will ever know. Proof number six. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. Here's what that means. You have to do it as long as you live. 
you have to keep doing it. You do it today, you have to do it again tomorrow. You'll have to do it a week from now, a year from now, five years from now. It's like when a physician gives you a tablet and says, now this you're going to have to take the rest of your life, life sentence. And so you need to know with the total forgiveness package, it's not enough that you just tonight say, I forgive them. No. This is arguably the most important point of my message tonight. You've got to keep doing it. You say, if you've done it once, that's enough. You, my friend, have a faulty doctrine of sanctification. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And the devil knows what they did to you. And he'll wake you up at 2 o'clock in the morning, five months from now, and remind you of what they did. And you get all turned up and churned up, and you can't go to sleep. And you're angry, and the next day you decide you can't take it anymore. You let them have it. You say, that's the devil. You need to know. The total forgiveness is something you do forever. How does this come out in the Joseph story? Oh, it's beautiful. Chapter 50. 17 years later, Jacob dies. And the brothers panic. They say, well, you know, it's well and good that Joseph forgave us. But now that dad's gone, he's going to throw the book at us. And they're scared to death. And they make up a story. And they come to Joseph. And said, Joseph, before dad died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us for what we did. And Joseph starts to cry. He said, what's the matter with you men? I told you 17 years ago I forgave you. I forgave you then. I forgive you now. Don't worry. That's total forgiveness. Do you want to know the genius of Joseph? It wasn't his diplomatic skills. It wasn't his IQ. It wasn't his ability to learn a foreign language. You know, his genius. He really had forgiven them. It was real. He really had forgiven them. And you see, that's what's got to happen. You are depriving yourself of what God has in mind for you because as you are, you couldn't be trusted with greatness. You look around today whether political people, church leaders in business, politics, education, small men scrambling for power, and then when they get it, they don't know how to handle it, and they're out to get vengeance. God's looking for somebody. He's looking for a Joseph who will cross over into the supernatural and be like Jesus. Seventh, my last point. Total forgiveness means to bless them. That's exactly what Joseph did, chapter 50. Don't worry, I will bless you. I will look after you. You have nothing to worry about. He blessed them. You see, when you've done that, you're there. And so when you can pray for them, and not just say, God, get them, kill them. Remember, God went, came to Moses one day. And God said, Moses, you know what? Uh, that's a sorry lot. You've got the children of Israel. 
They're, they're, they're not very nice. They're being rebellious against you. They're rebellious against me. Joseph, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill them all and start with a new nation. You and I will start all over again. I wonder how many pastors there are if God came to them and said, look, you've got a sorry lot of elders, you've got a sorry lot of deacons, I'm just going to kill them all and we'll start all over with you. I think many pastors say, glory to God, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> praise the Lord. But what, what did Moses say? You want to know the greatness of Moses? He stood in the gap. He says, no, you can't do that. Your great name is at stake. Forgive them. That was Moses. Greatest leader of men that ever was. This is leadership. When you intercede for those who are against you. And so Joseph blesses them. Never will forget coming into Westminster Chapel one Sunday morning. We were singing the great English hymn. Praise my soul, the king of heaven. And I looked out in the congregation. There was somebody there who had done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. I lost it. I could only mouth the words. Then scripture reading. I don't know how I got through the scripture. The whole time I was reading it, I thought of that person out there. Another hymn. Then the pastoral prayer. I don't know how I prayed. The whole time I prayed. Just How could they even be here? I was livid. What saved me was the time of the offering. And so I sat down next to the pulpit, and the Lord entered into a conversation with me, Chris. Now, this doesn't happen to me every day, but it happened that morning. I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. The Lord said, R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel, is that right? Yes, Lord. Good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot. Really, which would you rather have, revival or for me to send judgment on that person out there? <laughs> revival. Good, do you mean that? Yep. <laughs> then pray for them. Pray for them right now. Lord, I pray for them. <laughs> he said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless them. Bless them. <laughs> Say it again. Bless them. Say it again. Bless them. And do you mean that? Yep. <laughs> and what if I really do bless them? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> But that's the point. I wasn't able to preach that day until I started to say, Lord, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. It killed me. Bless them, bless them. To prove I meant it, the next day I'd have put them on my prayer list to pray for them every day. You bless them. It's not easy. But that's what Jesus taught. That's why there aren't many who do what I'm asking you to do tonight. You that know about my book, Total Forgiveness, is the cover of Mount Everest on the cover. Picture of Mount Everest on the cover. 
I asked them to put that there. Because in the book, I say, total forgiveness is like climbing Mount Everest. Few do it. And yet, all can. Every one of you can do it. It's an act of the will. I'm going to ask that nobody leaves now for a couple minutes. Don't need any music. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at me. I made a proposition about 25, 30 minutes ago. I don't know whether you took me up on it. The deal was that if I were to show that you haven't totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? That was the deal. I don't know whether you took me up on it. But you got a chance now to prove if you did. One minute from now, if you see that you haven't totally forgiven after all, but now are prepared to do it, I'm going to ask you to stand. You say, in front of all these people? Yes. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Yes. But this is a test. Whether you want the honor that comes from God only, or just have people think you're marvelous. In 35 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. You may be the only one that stands. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. Say, it's too late, RT, I've already done it. Don't do it anymore. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence. And I will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're prepared to forgive them, stand to your feet right now. I'll wait 15 seconds just to say, don't miss this moment. It may not come around again like this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Get in on this moment. All right. You that are standing, one further step. Go to the nearest aisle. Come to the front. I want to pray with you right here. Come quickly. Come quickly. Come quickly. Come all the way to the front. Leave uh, room for a row behind you and a row behind them. We're going to need more than one row. You in the gallery that stood, you've got time to come down. If you ask me, this is the most beautiful sight in greater London that you could find this moment. Now look here, I could have closed the sermon two minutes ago and say, well, now look, folks, go home and think about it. I could have done that. I would have done you no favor to do that. By your 
standing up as you have done and walking out. This way you will never forget this. Now, I've called you forward for one other reason. You see, what you've just done is the easy part. The hard part will be one hour from now, you think, oh dear, why, why, why did I do that? It'll be perhaps worse tomorrow morning after a cup of coffee and say, what came over me? I can't believe I did that. Now look, we haven't prayed yet. You can still get out of it. Because what we're going to do is enter into a covenant and the angels are watching and you've got a second chance to think about it. I'm not going to look to see who's praying. It's not between you and me anyway. It's between you and God. And for some, this is the most important moment since your conversion. We're going to enter into a covenant. All covenants in the Bible were ratified by blood. The covenant we're under was ratified by blood 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to give you words to say. Repeat them out loud after me if you can say them and mean them. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I'm sorry for my bitterness. I confess it to you. I forgive them. You forgive them. I bless them. You bless them. I set them free. I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence. And I bless them. You bless them. I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Dove, thank you for your patience with me. As best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Total forgiveness is an act of the will. You've made the right choice. You will never be sorry. You've opened the floodgates of heaven for blessing that you've never experienced. For some of you, the old touch that you once had will come back. For all of you, you're in a position now for God to use you. For some of you, you may still struggle. And what I'm going to suggest now that if you feel you need further prayer, I'm going to ask Chris to come and have the prayer team to come forward. And I would say that if you need further prayer, uh, you should stay up here. But before I do that, I'll just do one other thing. I mentioned earlier how by total forgiveness, 
you can reverse the physiological process that got you into possibly a physical situation. I'm not saying you've got that. But if there's anybody here that needs healing, I want to pray for you just by standing here. I've done this all over the world and have been surprised how many people get healed. And often when there's a healing, you don't know it at the time. You, you find it out hours later, days later. All who need healing right now, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand. In Jesus' name, be healed. 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 Jesus name, be healed. 